go if for a moment um, you could imagine yourself as a contractor, and I know uh, that would be harder for some of you to do than others, but imagine that you're a small operator, and so you work mostly by yourself, and and you're very busy wearing all your different hats. You specialize in roofs, of all things. Back in the day, when uh, workers carried bundles of shingles and plywood up the ladder on their shoulders, rather than having it moved up by machinery, and you've arrived at the job site in the morning, and you've set up your ladder, and you begin making the multiple trips up and down it, until you have all of your supplies and all of your tools up on the roof. And then a woman comes out of the house, and you don't recognize her, but then you sign the job a few nights earlier with the man at the house, and she looks at you, and she then asks you, what are you doing? And you reply, reasonably enough, uh, that you're going to replace her roof. And she looks at you for a moment, and then she says, well, that's very kind of you, but I think you want the Browns house right next door. And then you realize that in your hurry and the early morning light, you put your ladder against the wrong wall. At this point, you, you could do what comes so so naturally to most of it. You could complain about yourself to yourself. Or you could realize just how fortunate you were. The woman was at home, and she informed you of your mistake before you began working. Either way, there's nothing to be done but to take everything back down, put your ladder against the right wall, and begin the job anew. Now, that would certainly be frustrating, but not near so much as if you didn't find out you were working on the wrong house until you had finished the job. And if uh, you spent your entire contracting career leaning your ladder against the wrong wall, it would be disastrous. Now, I know that illustration might be uh, a bit cliched, but there are people who spend their entire lives with their ladder leaning against the wrong wall, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. Nothing can be as catastrophic as that. There are a lot of ways in which a person could be wrong in this matter. Uh, there are false religions. There's atheism and agnosticism. And we're not going to try to debunk all of those different things today. Rather, we are going to do what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at the clear teaching of the New Testament, which is really all about grace. And, and we'll look at its closest rival among people who are religious anyway, which is uh, one of works, where, where people are busy trying to earn a place in heaven. Now, this isn't an obscure teaching. I mean, there are a number of places we could turn to and find a word from God on it. But the one we're going to look at this morning is uh, about the great ancestor of the Jewish nation, Abraham. And if you know your Bible, Abraham is also the father of many nations because of faith. And the text we look at will remind us of that. We're making our way through the book of Romans, and we've come to that place where the Apostle Paul turns to the forefather of the Jews, who was also his ancestor, and he gives us the skinny on Abraham. He summarizes his 
life for us and shows how Abraham himself understood the truth about faith. There was a tension in the Roman church itself between Jews of, of all kinds. I mean, both those who who denied that Jesus was the Messiah and those who accepted him as such and the Gentile believers. And, and Paul deals with this issue throughout the book. It kind of culminates in chapters 9 through 11. But here he's using the life of Abraham to illustrate the point that a person is saved not by the things they do, but by putting their faith in God. So I want to ask you to join me again in that book, uh, the book of Romans, where we're in chapter 4, and we're going to make our way uh, through the whole chapter today. Paul has been talking up to this point about uh, faith as the key to salvation when he introduces Abraham to us uh, into the conversation in verse 1. We read there, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered about this matter. Now, there are a couple of things to note here before we go any further. Um, Paul refers to Abraham as our forefather according to the flesh. And what he's doing is he's making a distinction here, and he's referring back to something that he's already said, which is this. Being born a Jew, that is according to the flesh, doesn't make you one spiritually. You need something more. And that's an important distinction. He also uh, asks us what Abraham discovered in this matter. And, and that word discovered, and the way it's written in the Greek, has two possible meanings. Uh, it can mean something like uh, coming to an understanding through careful study. Or it can mean discovering something by happening upon it, just by finding it almost by accident. Now, I have to tell you, I think that both ideas are really come into play here. You see, God set this truth in front of Abraham. And he didn't actually set out to go looking for it. But when he came across it, as God worked in his life, Abraham grasped what it meant. And, and what he grasped was that God justifies those who trust him. So Paul continued in his reasoning, uh, we read in verse 2, In fact, Abraham, uh, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Now I have to tell you what, Abraham, uh, what Paul's doing here. He's, he's setting out his argument. And he's saying, listen, if you can really justify yourself, if you really can have merit before God so that he has to let you into heaven, then you could brag about it to God. Now, I have to tell you, that idea is really so offensive to Paul. He, he can't even let it stand uh, very long without making comment. He has to add that no one really can do that. No one can really brag before God. But in verse 4, which we're, we're not going to read, he, he makes the same point by saying this. He says, if you work, your wages aren't a gift. You've earned them. And, and if you've earned them, then that would give you bragging. But, but we need to understand just what is it that you really earn if you work. Now, Paul doesn't make the point explicitly, but he implies it in the statement that no one can boast before God. You see, when you work, what you get is what you earn. And when you put that together with the fact 
that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. I can say that we can never do enough. We can never justify ourselves. What the Bible teaches is not that Abraham could earn a place before God, but that he trusted God. And God made him righteous because of that. Verse 3. What does the scripture say, Paul asks? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Belief, not works, made Abraham righteous. His faith made all the difference. Verse 5 tells us even more. It tells us something important about God, which bears on our faith. It tells us that our God, the only God, is such a character. He's so loving and merciful and gracious that he, and he alone, justifies the ungodly who trust in him. So we read, verse 5, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, now some people, I'm just going to take a pause here for a minute. Some people kind of trip over that word ungodly because they don't want to think of themselves in that way. That's who we all are. That's who we all have been, at least. The good news is there's someone who can justify you. And he justifies those who trust in him. So if we rely on ourselves, we get only what we can earn, which really isn't enough. But God, what God credits us with the righteousness apart from our own efforts if we trust in him. And then Paul turns to the words of King David in support of this. And so in verses 6 through 8 we read this. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one sin the Lord will never count against them. You you and I cannot undo our sin. Our salvation is God's act on our behalf. He forgives us and he doesn't condemn us. God justifies those who trust in him. So if we rely on ourselves, we're going to get only what we can earn and not enough. God credits us as righteous apart from our own efforts, forgiving us and not condemning us as long as we put our trust in Him. And that is a blessed state. Now, I, I have to tell you, I think all of that seems pretty straightforward as we talk about it. I, mean, I know some people don't quite get that concept, the people who haven't come to the faith yet, but most of us here understand that pretty pretty clearly. But there were two ideas that were floating around in those days which were muddying up the waters. Um, one of those things is really not an issue in our day today. But the other one, well, it can be and sometimes is, often it is. So people in those days were trying to do something. They were trying to add something to this idea about faith. They were saying, yeah, you, you, you have to believe But you also must be circumcised, and that's not a real issue for us today. But they were also saying, yeah, you've got to believe, but you also have to obey the law. And that claim 
is something that's still made in our day. And you can understand, can't you, why the Jews uh, might say that? I mean, circumcision was vital for you to be, if you were a male, to be a member of the community, and God was the one who gave the law. And each of those things had its place in the Old Testament. We're not going to try to get into all of that today. Rather, we're going to follow Paul's course and see what we can learn about them from Abraham. Now, again, if you've been with us, you know Paul's already talked about these things, and now he reinforces what he said, and he addresses the idea of circumcision first in verses 9 through 12. And I think he makes pretty short work of it. He writes this beginning in verse 9, it is this blessedness that David was talking about, you know, this forgiveness of sin, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, not only, only for the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised? Now, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness, so wonder what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Well, it was not after, but before. I really loved what Paul's doing here. I mean, he, he does it here in a lot of his other letters. He, he's, so, he's just so good in engaging you and drawing you into the conversation. He asks a question, and then he adds a little information to it. And then he answers his own question to make his point. The point is this. Circumcision added nothing to the righteousness which God imputed Verse 11, which we won't read, tells us that circumcision was merely the symbol of the faith that Abraham already had, like like our baptism. You know, we trust Christ, we put our faith in him, and we get saved, we're born again. And, and as an outward symbol of that inward faith, we get baptized. We had that happen a couple of weeks ago right up here. These people put their faith in Christ, and they're just declaring, this is who I believe fit to save them. It was just a symbol. And Paul closes out his thought in, uh, by saying that Abraham is the spiritual father of both those who believe but have not been circumcised just as it happened to him and those who have also been circumcised but also believe as Abraham did. Circumcision is key. Faith. That's and then when Paul turns to the law in verses 13 and 17, he takes a little more time, but he, he comes to the same conclusion. Observing the law can add nothing to the righteousness which God imputes to the believer. People who trust God are promised the world. Now, we often say it this way, quoting Jesus, the meek will inherit the earth. Paul tells us that this promise doesn't come to us by keeping the law, but by believing in God. And in verse 13, he writes, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring, referring to spiritual descendants here, received the promise that he would be heir of the world, that he would inherit the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, faith is a key. It opens the door into God's kingdom. And then Paul makes the point that, that it is one way or it's the other. It, it can't be both. It, either we're saved by what we do, which we already know cannot be, or we're saved by faith. 
So verse 14 is really devastating to those who think they must make their own way into heaven. Paul writes this, for, I'm sorry, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Did you hear what he just said? If those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. How can faith mean nothing when it's what God commends people for in the Old Testament and the New Testament over and over again? How could God's promise be worthless? God says what he means and he means what he says and no promise of his has ever fallen to the ground or ever will go unmet. Abraham was promised the world and we share in that promise because we put our trust in God. And so if you think that you can uh, uh, earn your way into heaven, then you're saying that faith doesn't matter and neither is God's Verse 16 in the beginning of 17 tells us something. It tells us that we sold it. It, it. it tells us that God's grace is what triumphs. And it's for any and all who believe. And that it makes us all part of the same family. You don't work your way into a family. Your works don't bring glory to God unless they're done as a believer in faith in Christ. In 16, he says, Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that, may not, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made him father. See, heaven and the world is ours because we believe. It's ours by God's grace, not of works. It's for any and for all who believe. And those who believe belong to the family of God. And you know what? That's all really good stuff, isn't it? I just love the things that we've been talking about. But there are two more things that that we need to talk about before we're going to bring our time together to a close. You see, for us, those of us who, who love God, we just love His Word. The things we've been talking about are, are kind of food for our soul. When we, we hear things like this, I, I think we're encouraged. And sometimes we gain maybe a new or deeper insight. But even when it's just a, a reminder, it's more than just a reminder. There's real power in the Word of God and our faith is strengthened just by talking about the things that we've been talking about this morning. But there might be some of you who don't find yourself in that same place. But maybe this uh, talk about having God's blessing by faith and instead of by being good, is new to you. Well, I have to tell you, you really have had enough truth set before you today to realize what God wants from you is a relationship. That's what faith is. It's a relationship where you 
know that you're not good enough to get into heaven on your own, but you believe in the God who is good and that he will save you and make you what you could not be on your own. And if we jump to the end of the passage here at the end of the chapter, Paul tells us uh, what all of this talk about Abraham means to people today. And he summarizes just what it is that Christians believe when we put our faith in God. What we put our faith in. 23 says, The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. You see, God recorded the truths about Abraham in his holy word so that we could benefit from them, so that we could be counted as righteous, not because of what we do, but because of what we believe, which Paul encapsulates beginning in the middle of verse 24 through 25, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he, Jesus, was delivered and back by God over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. That's what we believe. That's what we stand on. That's what we live for. That's what we die for. We believe and we trust God for that Jesus died to pay for our sins and was raised to make the likes of you and me righteous. If we could earn our way into heaven, then Jesus' death would be meaningless and God's word would be worthless. That simply cannot be. No. Our salvation is through faith by God's grace to us, and it is for any and all who will trust him. And if you do trust him, you will become part of his family. And if you're here today and you're not, let me tell you something. You do not need to wait to come to Christ. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't wait. You aren't promised another moment, much less another day. There is only danger in waiting. There's a kind of arrogance on your part, almost as if you were defying God, as if you really didn't believe he means what he says. And it is not about becoming a better person. Nothing you can do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many new leaves you turn over, you can add nothing to what God has already done for you in his son. It's all about trust. It's about taking God at his word. And it is easy. And for sinners like that, it's as hard as that. Take God at his word. Now let me encourage you if you're in that place with another word from God. The Bible tells us this, that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you draw near to God, right now where you're sitting, if you draw near, tell him that you want to be saved and that you want to follow him. He will draw near to you. He will keep his word, and he will make you his child. My, my 
Brother Frank Day talks about his life before he became a Christian. He grew up as an atheist, and and one day after uh, after a series of things, one of which was reading about DNA of all things, he, he made a statement. He said, "God, if you're out there, I'm willing." And as soon as he opened that door, the living God invaded his life. He will come near to you. He will save you. He will make you his own. And if you still need help, if you have questions, then come and see me or talk to someone you know who's a committed follower of Christ. But come and know forgiveness as your own. Find acceptance full and complete and taste real life that's full and satisfying and never-ending. But come. The last thing we need to look at applies to all of us here. Uh, we, we've seen that faith is a king into the kingdom of God. In verses 18 through 22, tell us what faith, real faith, looks like by telling us about Abraham's faith. And, and we could summarize that by saying real faith is faith which works. It makes a difference in your life and in the world around you. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so, your soul, so shall your offspring be. That's what the faith uh, did for Abraham. It, it demonstrated his character. It was response to God, but it demonstrated the character of Abraham as he lived his life in faith. See, God is who he is. And God can be trusted to keep his word. And believing that made Abraham the man he was. It made him the father of the faith. Abraham's faith was constant. It, it was unyielding in the face of circumstances. Against all hope, he hoped, the scripture says. And verse 19 goes on to tell us without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. And, and God made a promise to Abraham. And he kept on believing. Even when it seemed impossible. And when the circumstances are against us, our faith is tested. But our faith whatever is thrown at it. Abraham also didn't yield to unbelief. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Now I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that unbelief is not the same thing as doubt. You know, everyone has his or her moments of insecurity. Uh, unbelief is really different. It's a thing that has to be overcome. I, I, I know doubt, too, has to be overcome, but doubt's kind of a nagging in the faith. 
Unbelief is an evil in its own right. And heart is either the belief that God is not good or that God does not exist. Both amount to about the same thing. There can be no good without God. And if God is God, he must be good. I should think back for just a moment to times when you doubted. You remember those times, don't you? You just hung on, didn't you? You're here today, aren't you? Unbelief is a turning away from God, wavering. God's grace, neither with you if you keep on trusting Him. And when you keep on keeping on, then He does something else for you. He, he strengthens your faith. Verse 20 again, and He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened. That's something God did in His faith. You see, as we walk with God, we grow stronger in God. I think it's improper for me to say it this way. God's character is rubbing off on us. You keep on keeping on, God will strengthen you in your faith. And from that, from our lives as we live by faith, God's glorified. Verse 20 again. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. Glory God. You know, that might not mean a lot to some people, but for those of us who love God, it matters a great deal. We want to bring glory to Him by the way that we live. Verses 21 and 22 summarize all this for us. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised. And this is why it was credited to Him as righteous. That's what real faith is. It's a belief in God. It's a trust in His Word. It's something real and life-changing so that God counts us as righteous when we do. It's constant. It doesn't yield to circumstances. It overcomes unbelief. When you have it, you live it. And God strengthens you. By it, 